Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director, PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show. And uh, we have to be gentle with our guest today, Terry Sullivan, who's a founding partner at Firehouse Strategies. Terry, you've just had your jab, haven't you? Feeling a bit uh, bit tender, but thanks for joining us in those circumstances. Absolutely. Happy to do it. And uh, we've got Frank Washcook here, as always, our executive editor, joining us, my regular co-host. How are you, Frank? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me on. You all vaccined up yet? Well, I'm halfway there. Right, right. You're the you're on the Pfizer one. That's right. Um, In a couple of weeks, I'll be uh, returning to the land of the living, hopefully. Pounding so, around Park Slope, like yes, uh, yes, happy yes, chappy, indeed. So we're going to talk to Terry and uh, find out a bit about Firehouse and talk about uh, business and politics. Then we've got uh, some big stories. Another busy week. We'll talk about Edelman. They've got a new U.S. CEO, so we'll find out about that. MWW, it's rebranded. So, uh, yeah, interesting story, that. We'll talk about our PR Week Hall of Fame, Class of 2021, which was unveiled this week. Fantastic group of PR professionals. Bayer has reorganized its U.S. corporate affairs team. So we'll find out what that means. And another agency uh, change, Outcast, the CEO, Alex Constantinople. She has moved on to the client side at Zendesk. So uh, we'll find out more about that. But let's uh, start with you, Terry. You've been, uh, you were in politics for a couple of decades and, and you've done public affairs for a long time. Senior strategic role in 100 campaigns, which is incredible to think across Senate, gubernatorial and presidential. Um, you've advised candidates at every level, Mitt Romney, Trey Gowdy, and most recently, you were the campaign manager for Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. And this was before you then went off to set up Firehouse. So before we find out about Firehouse, what, what are your reflections on your time, you know, direct, more directly involved in politics and, and your reflections on maybe the last four years and um, how all that panned out from the campaign that you were so closely involved in? Well, I have uh, the same answer for, for both questions. Thank God it's over. <laughs> uh, two decades is, is too long to run campaigns for a living um, and uh, uh, four years of, of the world uh, living by Twitter um, is just too long uh, for, for, for the world to deal with so I'm, I'm very, uh, very glad that uh, we've moved past both of those periods yeah, it was interesting yesterday when they were talking about how uh, former President Trump's profile has gone down since he's been off Twitter. And it's true, isn't it? That was such a powerful tool for him. And really, and he utilized it, you know, for better or worse. It was a really powerful communications channel, wasn't it? Look, he is the, I've, I've said this since the 20, you know, early in the 2016 campaign, he is the, uh, the greatest modern political tactician, also perhaps the worst political strategist but like from a tactical standpoint he knows how to dominate the news cycle every single day in a way that is just just amazing um and and utilize it and and you know it was kind of one of those where where man meets moment i think yeah 
Yeah, yeah. What would you would your advice be to the Republican Party? Where do you think it goes next, and what do you think it needs to do to to uh, you know uh, evolve to to whatever the next uh, you know campaign is going to be? You know, that's every party right after they lose uh, the White House, especially after it's it's in a midterm. Um, the uh, they go through a soul searching and identity crisis, and there's a circular firing squad of the center of the party blaming the uh, the edges of the party, and vice versa. And, uh, and, and we'll see that kind of hash itself out. Even, even the Democrats after, you got to remember, I mean, you know, it, four years ago, there was a huge fight between, uh, whether whose fault it was Bernie Sanders followers or Hillary Clinton. Um, so, I mean, this is, we're kind of back to where we were and that that's a typical thing. Um, and what it's, what it's going to do is the party's going to, going to go back to, or hopefully go back to a party of issues. Um, both parties seem to do better. Uh, when they focus on their issues, um, then when they focus on personalities, um, and that is always the advantage of a party out of power. There are plenty of uh, advantages being in power, but when you're out of power, uh, having uh, you know being able to be about issues is a little bit easier than than what one person happens to do or what gaff or what this or that. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a bit about Firehouse and and how you're using your experience to provide senior counsel to companies now and uh, trade associations. Sure. Uh, yeah. Look, after 20 years of, of running, you know, Senate, governor, gubernatorial, presidential campaigns, and then in 2016, losing to a reality TV star, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a mind opening moment. Uh, and the... Um, and you, you start to reflect and, and, and see how you can how you can impact the world in, in different ways. And what my partner Alex Cohen and I uh, really came up with is, look, corporations now more than ever need campaigns. It was literally the premise of uh, of our founding is campaigns for corporations, uh, because today every CEO is a candidate and every corporation is running a campaign. And if you're not, you're getting it wrong. And so from that standpoint, it's a um, we saw a real opening there to make to work for companies we believed in, provide a value and a service to uh, to help them run campaigns to influence their constituents, which differ in, in each situation. But our but their constituents are, are offer, often their their consumers, but sometimes they're policymakers um, and sometimes they're board members. Yeah, and those stories been in business involvement in societal issues, culture and politics has just become such a major talking point, hasn't it? And we've been covering this a, a lot. It's, it's part of the move toward purposeful business. Um, you know, staffers, uh, consumers expect the brands they interact with, or at least this is what the research tells us. They expect them to make statements and be involved. But then there's a big, um, uh, you know, bunch of people who think, that they should just stick to their knitting, if you like, and just stick to business. And we saw Mitch McConnell this week basically t- talking about the Georgia and the Texas voting law and some of the corporate responses to that. Mitch McConnell essentially told business to stay out of politics, which was kind of interesting. Um, I'm not sure he means stay out in terms of uh, campaign donations, but, hey, that's probably a whole that's, – that's yeah, a whole job. I do find it interesting that all these politicians, in this case, and on both the left and the right, and in all these cases, the second the business weighs in on on, uh, on public policy, they attack them for for you know getting involved in policy. You think, well, you know, you know, why don't you stop attacking businesses? 
I mean, for me, as, as you know, I'm, I'm a conservative. I always have been. I believe that that businesses have a right to do whatever the heck they want to do and they don't need politicians telling them what to do. So it is a little bit interesting that the that that we have a lot of uh, Republicans out there now attacking, uh, you know, a Delta um, or Major League Baseball uh, for doing what they think they need to do for their constituencies. Yeah, no, it's interesting. One thing McConnell did say, which I did think was interesting, he said Republicans buy Coca-Cola too, you know, Republicans vote too and Republicans are consumers too, which is very valid. And, uh, you know, we saw 65 million people voting for for President Trump. So how do you advise your clients? Because these are really choppy waters to wade into, aren't they? So it's not easy to make the right decision on how you actually uh, get involved in in societal and political issues. I completely agree. I, I, and look, I don't think that Mitch McConnell's uh, advice is wrong to these companies. I just think that he's the wrong person to give it, um, and that the um, look. This is no different than any candidate. You've got a every candidate has a very vocal minority constituency. Um, whatever party you're in th- that is going to make a lot of noise and really put pressure on you to do to, to take your position one way or the other on issues. Uh, but then there's the majority of voters who are passive voters, and that is no different with consumers. So while you've got a small group that are that are you know raising uh, hell over uh, you know boycotting Coca-Cola or this or, or, or that or, or, or pushing on either side of this issue, um, the vast majority are still going to be drinking Coca-Cola, regardless of where they weigh in on the issue. Um, and so sometimes it's important for these businesses to, to not be overreactionary. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good that they take, uh, you know, with Jamie, you brought up Jamie Dimon, look, you know, announcing, look, companies have a social responsibility, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean they need to wade into every single fight like they're Donald Trump with a Twitter account. Yeah. What did you think of Amazon and, uh, yeah, seemingly led, you know, by Jeff Bezos's instructions to get quite aggressive, actually, you know, taking on Bernie Sanders, um, Elizabeth Warren and, and pushing back. What did you think that of that as a strategy? You know, I, I, it probably felt good. <laughs> and if you're, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're the richest man in the world, you know, you can do stuff that just feels good. Um, That's true. Well, so, you know, uh, but at, at the same time, um, you know, I personally like to see uh, politicians get it back from the businesses that they regulate and say, hey, we're out here making the world better, creating jobs um, and making a difference in our own way. Um, so the not getting you know, paid by the taxpayers to, to work, you know, just a few days a week. Um, so I, I do, you know, I think it's, per- but he, he needs to be careful that to not, dis- there's an old saying, don't stop and kick every barking dog. Um, or I, I don't know that that was a barking dog that, that, he needed to kick, but again, I bet it felt good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's underestimated, actually. Isn't it? it just felt good. Um, I think Elon Musk subscribes to the same theory. <laughs> but, um, it helps when you're the two of the richest men in the world or richest people <laughs> in the world. Um, Jay Carney is the head of comms at Amazon, and it felt like they were dialing it back a little bit by the end of the week and being a bit more conciliatory, didn't? So maybe uh, Carney had had a had a, some some more say in the strategy by that time. Yeah, again, it goes, you know, just like with the good and the bad, where I said CEOs are candidates, um, the and corporations are campaigns. 
Um, there are plenty of times I've worked on campaigns where candidates have things they feel very passionately about that may not be in their best interest. And it's uh, incumbent upon the campaign or the corporation to say, hey, you know, here's another way of doing it. So I, that may be what you're seeing there. Do you think this is a phase where business is going to weigh in heavily um, or do you think it will pass? Or do you think this is just the new reality now? And this is especially young people. They're going to check the receipts of these businesses and brands and make sure they actually deliver. on. That's the other part of this, isn't well, it? They can say thing. things, but they've got to deliver on it. Well, that's it. That, that, well, and, and but here's the reality is do they? Are they really going to be? And, and I guess that's the, the point. I mean, you know, after the, the January 6th uh, insurrection of the Capitol, uh, there was a lot of corporations that came out and said, this is it. We're not giving to these Republicans or this or no political contributions. And then it all and, and suddenly it's all kind of died down. My sense is they may skip the first uh, filing deadline for PAC contributions. But by this summer, the second filing, they will be giving to candidates. Um, so it is uh, that is one of the. Uh, Play, you know, situations we're in where we have a 24-hour news cycle and we, we live by 140 characters at a time is that these um, there's, a, there's a short memory. You know, there's, there's a very short memory. So I don't know. I think a lot of times these businesses make a calculation, where do I need to be now to calm things down? And it'll go away. Yeah, it was interesting. Patagonia, which is obviously a longstanding uh history of getting involved and, and that's part of their DNA. And they were saying they were sort of just pointing out that some of the companies protesting were, you know, had PACs that had donated to uh, uh, Republican causes as well. And then they were just pointing out that that potential hypocrisy in that. Yeah. And that's, and look, that's Patagonia's brand. That is literally part of their company DNA. Um, and I, I feel like that's a different kind of thing where they're, they've always been very clear and open that they're going to be an activist uh, company from an ideological standpoint, from an issue standpoint. Um, and so, you know, they get kudos from folks for doing that. And they're, they're a, you know, a small enough brand, I think, that, that they, can, they can get away with doing it. Um, but I also, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative Republican, uh, but I also climb mountains and Patagonia makes really good gear and I buy their gear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Frank, what's your take on it? I I sort of feel the same way about Chick Fil A, and that I I enjoy a good <laughs> chicken sandwich every now and then, but probably don't don't uh, agree yeah. with the ownership on a lot of issues. So I I, I hear you on that one, um, Terry. Well, I'm going to ask you were you, were you surprised that Major League Baseball pulled the All Star Game out of uh, out out of Atlanta? Um, because of the law that was put into place there, because I mean, I, baseball is not exactly the NBA in terms of its activism or its, you know, taking a stance on hot button issues. It, it tends to be a bit more reactive. So, were, were you surprised they acted as decisively as they did? Uh, no, for two reasons. One, they don't want to become the NBA and its or the NFL for that matter. They don't want you know players kneeling on the field or taking boycotts or things like that. And and they've they've kind of strayed away from that. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think that they were trying to nip this in the bud on the front end, um, combined with the fact you've got to remember they have, uh, negotiations coming up again with the players union very soon. Um, and so I think this, a lot of this had to do with not so much the constituency of their, their fan base, um, or any sort of huge policy, uh, issue as much as realizing, look, we have enough time negotiating things with, with the players union as it is. Uh, it's challenging enough. 
we need to be careful on this issue. It's going to be passionate with the players. That's a terrific point, especially about the negotiations coming up. It's almost like an employee engagement thing, isn't it? I suppose. Well, that's and, and that's look. That's a big thing that we do at Firehouse is what we we call it as targeted persuasion campaigns. And one of the most important things you do is figure out who you're trying to persuade. And sometimes your public statement issued to the masses about moving a game out of a state has nothing to do with the masses or the state, and everything to do with another targeted group. Um, and so, you know, it's important to understand who we're targeting. And I think that's what, what uh, MLB did in this situation. Yeah. So but either way, I guess this is good news for Firehouse because companies need advice, don't they? They need need help navigating it. So uh, I'm sure you've been seeing lots of uh, potential assignments coming up. Yes, absolutely. We really have. Been a good stretch. Good to hear. All right. So um, I guess um, since you said, thank God it's over, you won't be sort of tempted back into the fray. There's a gubernatorial race rumoured where Caitlyn Jenner is, is, could be running with Brad Pascali. That's not a ticket you would uh, be interested in getting involved with? You know, I think politics is a beautiful spectator sport. Um, the, um, it, it is also, I, I tend to believe, a young man's game, and I'm, I'm getting older. Uh, no, look, it's, it is, um, I, I won't, I, in part because um, I do feel like I can, I can contribute more to the world uh, by working for corporations I believe in, companies I believe in, and the issues I believe in, than uh, necessarily working for political candidates. Uh, and and look, it's it is a polarizing time, and you've got to wake up every single day and ready to do battle. Um, and it's not we're in a time when you can't look. Robbie Mook is a good friend of mine who is Hillary's campaign manager, and we were out to dinner the other night and. Uh, we agree on probably almost nothing from a policy standpoint, but we agree on 95% of things from a, from a practical standpoint. And the, uh, and we kind of reminisced about, you know, it used to not be that you, that the other person wasn't have the, a different opinion. It's that now they have a wrong opinion and it's not just that they have a wrong opinion. It's that they're a bad person. And, and I don't know exactly how we got here, um, and I don't know what the path is back, but it's been a trajectory going for a while. I mean, at the end of the day, the Democrats can talk about how and not to make this too political. Um, and we are a bipartisan firm and have a lot of great Democrats who work in our firm in senior roles. But uh, it, it was interesting that, you know, now Mitt Romney is, is somebody they love. But when, you know, Joe Biden once said, you know, he was going to put African-Americans back in chains if he was elected president and he had a binder full of women. I mean, and so it's it's both sides and, and Republicans do the same thing. Both sides have just ratcheted the rhetoric over the years up to such an intense level that nobody uh, can have civil, uh, serious policy debates anymore. It feels like. Yeah, we've got to get back to some sort of civil discourse and bipartisanship to do what's best for the country because the country's facing some massive problems, you know, yeah. and uh, we've got to do that. I think whichever party you're, you're a part of, I agree with that. All right, Terry, it's great to chat to you, and we'll get your input on the big news stories of the week. Frank, um, big news over at Edelman, the biggest uh, PR firm in the world. They have a new U.S. CEO. That's right. And, um, you know, somebody really well-known in D.C. circles, uh, Lisa Ross, is uh, going to be the new U.S. CEO at Edelman, and that means Russell Dubner has been promoted to global vice chair and this is interesting, too, chair of the new Adelman Trust Institute, which is, um, you know, of course, built on the trust barometer, the um, 
the survey that they've had a lot of success with and a lot of success with, um, you know, working with clients on. Uh, very interesting, you might say, that this announcement comes shortly after uh, Richard Edelman said in an interview with, um, with you, Steve, that he is looking to remain a CEO for about another decade and then will hand over to a successor who might be a member of his family or might not be. So, um, you know, it, I think a lot of people will be looking at Edelman with perhaps some Kremlinology of what's actually going on behind the scenes here. Yeah, it was quite funny um, that because he was talking about succession, and then he said, "Well, by the way, I'm I'm going to be around for another decade, so don't get to, don't get overexcited." <laughs> and talking about energy and every day, someone who gets up and goes and do it does it. Uh, Richard at 66 is just as energetic as as, as many people younger than him. But uh, it was uh, interesting. I, I, I we did a clubhouse session with him on Monday and. I forgot to ask him whether he'd modelled that uh, strategy on watching Succession, but um, uh, it's certainly, you know, it, fair play to Edelman. They were criticised for not having enough diverse individuals at the top of their firm, and now the, you know, Lisa Ross is the US CEO, so that is a, a, a bold major move. And Lisa's a fantastic PR pro, uh, won the Agency Professional of the Year at the PR Week Awards. So, and to your point about trust, um, another thing that uh, Richard Edelman said was that the trust barometer and the IP around that was one of the big factors in them bouncing back from, you know, what was a, a really horrible Q2 and Q3 for most uh, PR firms last year. But that really helped them because companies wanted that sort of uh, consultancy. And so whilst you might say, oh, has, has Russ Dubner been moved sideways? Actually, that Trust Institute is a key part of the business and uh, is something that is really going to be uh, expanded. So, Terry, when you're out there pitching for business, are, are you coming up against the big firms and the specialist firms? How, how's, how's the landscape for you? You know, we do. Um, uh, not as much, but you know what? I think th that uh, the fact that, that Edelman is, is, you know, picking someone with DC experience, with political experience, is really, uh, you know, a kind of a hat tip to those of us who've been based here uh, all along, that, that this, there's, the power center is shifting away from New York to a certain extent, uh, and that DC is has is have its its coming of age uh, in the public relations and public affairs space, um, and and is holding its own. And so I think that uh, we we do bump into them from time to time, uh, but I think these are the kind of things the moves they're making that will end up bumping into them more because they're becoming more aggressive um, to get into this 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 area geographically. Yeah, I think it speaks to your point earlier about the campaign style of communication now. You know, it's it's relentless and every day. And that's probably why there are so many former politicos in, you know, in-house client roles, looking at, uh, you know, Josh Ernest at United or Jay Carney, the aforementioned at, uh, at Amazon, Robert Gibbs had a stint at uh, McDonald's, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, Dan Bartlett at uh, Walmart. So those skills are definitely transferable, aren't they? They certainly are. And, it's, and like I said, it goes back to, you know, campaigns are, I mean, uh, corporations are having to become more political um, and the media, the way things are covered, whereas companies didn't get the level of scrutiny uh, that a political candidate would, they now do. Yeah. Um, and before they would have asked if with the situation in Georgia, they would have asked every politician what they thought of it, but it never crossed their mind to, for reporters to ask Coca-Cola what they think of yeah. it. That's a good point. Uh, this is an interesting story, Frank. MWW is rebranded. Tell us all about it. 
Yeah, uh, it's now to be known as Mike Worldwide. You heard me correctly. Uh, it's a tribute to the founder and CEO, Michael Kempner. Um, and it is, I, well, I think the big question is for everybody is what's going to happen to that big MWW public relations branding in East Rutherford that you can see uh, you can see from the blimp and you, you can see from the stadium shot at uh, Giants and Jets games. So, uh, so yeah, Mike Worldwide it is, no longer MWW. Yeah, that that was very smart because they don't own the whole of that building. But uh, right. Michael Kempner, he he cleverly got the uh, the top of the building, and and you can't miss that MWW. But yeah, I can see Mike Worldwide, and maybe they could get Pitbull, who's Mister Worldwide, to do a sort of launch party on the on the rooftop there. And you know, when we have the first game back at uh, MetLife Stadium, what do you think, Frank? It's a thought. It's a thought, and uh, you know, you're right. Credit to them on that because. Uh, the year that the Super Bowl was in East Rutherford, uh, that MWWPR branding was, was all over national TV and the most highly watched events of the year. So, yeah, good for them on that. Exactly. I understand that it, the, the name change was because so many people just kept saying, what does MWW stand for? So uh, now we know it stands for Mike Worldwide. And uh uh, obviously looking for, for world domination after decades in the business and a, a two-time PR pro of the year, actually, uh, at the PR Week Awards. So uh, what do you think, Terry? Good good uh, branding? Are you going to well, Terry worldwide, Terry and Alex worldwide? <laughs> yeah, well, I do think it's, it's, a, it's a good sign for, uh, for his, uh, his, his team that he's not planning to sell the company anytime soon. Um, <laughs> That's a good point. But, yeah, because they used to be part of Interpublic, but they bought themselves out over a decade ago. Yep, yep. So, yeah. All right, Frank, tell us about the PR Week Hall of Fame. Class of 2021 was unveiled this week. A terrific group. Really fantastic. Enjoyed that uh, process as well of uh, seeing who, who came out on top this year. Yeah, it's a great group. I mean, every year it's a great group, but this is especially uh, a great group. And, you know, we, we look at it and we could have had more people uh, on the list than, than we even did. So uh, give a shout out to a few different people. Dusty Jenkins at Spotify, uh, of course, former head of comms at Target, really well known throughout uh, the industry. Uh, Geraldine Green, who was most recently the chair of jury at the uh, PR Week Awards. Um, Kate Cronin playing a really interesting role running Ogilvy Health as, you know, all of these changes continue to happen at Ogilvy, and, you know, going back to having these individual divisions focused on different things. Lisa Stockman at Cineos Health and Virginia Devlin, who was recently a guest on the podcast. So good to see her on the list as well. Yeah, it's a brilliant list of uh, female PR professionals. And um, we decided to have a larger class this year because, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, how the last 12 months has been really tough for everyone, but especially for women and women who, who are working in PR because they've had to juggle uh, demanding jobs with uh, working from home, with homeschooling, with all the usual sort of management uh, responsibilities around the household, which still, you know, s- tend to be handled more by women. And, and we've in our Femme Forward blog series, we've we've been um, chronicling some of those challenges. So we really wanted to honour women in PR. It's a seventy percent female business. And um, we're delighted to recognize all these brilliant PR professionals and the women to watch, because there are 23 women to watch as well, who are all terrific, too, including Margot Edelman, who is one of those uh, 
candidates potentially for being the re, the successor to uh, Richard Edelman? Time will tell, right? I mean, I think it's um, in the coming years, it's going to be one of the most speculated about um, probably the most speculated about, you know, secession thing than in any agency, maybe in the whole marketing business, even including advertising agencies. For sure. Terry, in your world, uh, are there more men in the type of uh, consultancy that you do, or is it uh, more 50-50 rather than 70% female? You know what? We are actually, uh, majority of our senior staff on our uh, at Firehouse are female. Um, and it's, it's, it's not by much, it's close to 50, 50, but, but a slight majority are female. And so it's, uh, much to the chagrin of, of, uh, our, our male, male staffers, the the women, uh, all work harder, um, than the rest of us. Um, (laughs) But uh, the, uh, no, it, 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 I think it carries over in our field as well. Um, very much. And we're proud to be able to do that as well. I mean, it's, we make it a priority because, um, well, and partly because it's self-serving, the women are working harder. And they're smarter, let's be honest. So, um, yeah, so do check out the Hall of Femme class of 2021 on PRWeek.com. Really terrific group. And, um, yeah, we look forward to seeing their achievements over the, over the coming years and when watching the women to watch as they rise up the ranks. Another interesting story, Frank, over at Bayer, the uh, pharma company, um, they've, they've reorganized their U.S. corporate affairs team. Yeah, for sure. In fact, they are pulling apart corporate affairs uh, and uh, communications and public affairs, pulling those things apart. Uh, And that means that Ray Karens, the SVP and head of U.S. corporate affairs for eight years, seems like yesterday he was just joining up there, doesn't it? Um, It Now he's leaving on June 14th uh, to pursue other opportunities. Uh, that means Beth Roden, formerly the head of Global Crop Science Comms, uh, is moving up to the role of SVP and head of U.S. communications. Um, and Michael Parrish, VP of U.S. government relations, is leading U.S. public affairs in the interim. So a bunch of changes over a bit. Yeah, uh, Terry, where does sort of corporate affairs and public affairs, where do the lines, you know, uh, finish and can you separate them? I mean, or, or are they intin- intrinsically linked now? I think they really are. I mean, it, it is, um, again, it goes back to regardless of who your, your, your targeted group is, is it a politician uh, or is it, uh, you know, shareholders or, or is it your constituency of, of your, of your clients? Um, it is, you, you communicate with them in a very, very similar way. Uh, and so I think there is more of a merging of the two. Yeah, I think so. And uh, but it's an interesting strategy there. I do think you know we've talked to many in-house PR pros now, where an employee engagement has become so important. They're spending you know much more than half their time on that. So that's the other thing is is can one person cover all this because they're they're all becoming such major um, tasks in their own right. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff there. And Ray Kerens is a well-respected PR professional and a former uh, regular PR Week award winner as well. So uh, we, we look forward to seeing what he does next. Um, in uh, just to finish off, let's talk about Outcast, one of the next fifteen tech agencies over on the West Coast. They uh, their CEO has moved on, Frank. Yes, that's right. Uh, Alex Constantinople, the CEO for the past eight years um, over uh, at Outcast, has joined Zendesk, the uh, CRM software company, uh, as its chief marketing officer. So interesting, joining the client side after years as an agency 
uh, CEO. And some new news there, uh, they've named her replacement, uh, who is Elizabeth McNichols. Um, so, yeah, interested to see what she is going to bring to the tech specialist firm. Yeah, very much so. Outcast was a, a, a you know a hard charging firm set up by Margaret Wenmakers and uh, um, her partner who were heavily involved with Facebook. They were heavily connected with that Margaret now at uh, Andreessen Horowitz. So interesting stuff. Terry, have you been following this sort of interesting dynamic between the tech world on the West Coast and the mainstream media? There seems to be a bit of tension there in the the way it's being covered and um it gets played out you know in on social media you see andres and horowitz sort of setting up his own media uh channel if you like to bypass the 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 press what what do you make of it you know it's it's interesting this has been trending in this direction for a while there's uh the the tech world will will claim that they are not media and therefore shouldn't be held to the same standards but uh it is it is where and i remember in 2016 after the elections uh, went to harvard institute of politics for the they do the after action election report um and they had representatives from you know traditional news but they also had uh, someone from facebook there as well and it was like well we 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 subscribe to a different standard and the um because we're not the news media and so i i think there is some tension there because people get a disproportionate amount of their their information from these tech companies for their news from the facebooks of the world uh and so i i think that media is I don't know if I want to say the word jealous, but is now thinking, you know what, we're going to, if no one's going to hold them to higher scrutiny, we are. At least that's from my point of view, what I'm seeing. Well, yeah, it's the media's job to hold everyone to account, isn't it? And, um, but I, I agree with you actually, because uh, I heard Margaret said, well, you know, Facebook's not a media owner because I wouldn't ever go and pitch them uh, with a story. And I'm like, well, that's not the definition of a media company, right? A media company is, is a channel where people get their information. And by that, yes. yeah. Twitter, Facebook, uh, Amazon, the, uh, these other companies, Google, these are media companies. They're not that's traditional true. media companies, but they are definitely media companies. And they do have to take responsibility for the things that happen. We've seen the things that have happened and well, they, haven't, they haven't done enough. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that is why... I, Firehouse and our business has been thriving is because of that kind of outdated attitude that, well, because I wouldn't pitch them, they're not a media company. Look, authenticity is king now. It is all about receiving your information. No one trusts the media. No one trusts politicians. Who do you trust? People you know or people you feel like you know and have a relationship with. That's why you see more money being spent on influencers than ever before. But it's also why you see uh, people getting their information from people on their Facebook feed. Now, the story may have originated in The New York Times, but where the value of that story that the person gets and assigns to it is because their friend who shares their values is the one who posted it. And so now more than ever, even in any stories we get for any of our clients, it is about the amplification after the fact in the targeted group. Uh, that matters more than the original story. If you just get a story, that's it. It gets clicks and moves on. But getting that, getting that into the ecosystem through the social media in an organic way, in an authentic way, is really is what drives persuasion anymore. Yeah, context and commentary around it as well. So I totally agree with you. All right, Terry, it's fascinating to chat to you. Thanks for coming on the show. I hope the uh, the vaccine uh, gets through the system quickly. I'm sure it will. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how Firehouse develops over the coming years. Thank you much. You guys have a great day. 
Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure. And uh, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate yeah. it as always. We wouldn't be the same without you, my friend. And uh, just before we go, don't forget PR Week Connect. It's next Tuesday, the 13th of April. It's that's our global virtual conference. And it will starts in London, goes round the globe to uh, stops in the Middle East and Asia and then ends up in the U.S., We've got some great uh, sessions. Uh, I did a fireside chat with Mark Reed, who's the CEO of the biggest Marcom holding company in the world at WPP. So do check that out. We've got others like Corey DeBrower and many other great speakers and sessions. So do go and uh, check that out. We've got uh, our global awards. They're taking place on the 20th of May, again, virtually. So uh, do, um, do check that out. The Brand Film Awards, they're open for... Uh, sorry, the sh- sorry, Frank. Are they open for entries? I did, or are they? Uh, sorry, the shortlists are out. We're on to the shortlist. Now. We're on to the shortlist. I'm getting confused here. We've got so, too many programs. Um, <laughs> yeah, the shortlist is out, and the and the uh, and some brilliant films on that, by the way. And uh, on the 25th of May for the uh, ceremony, PR decoded. That'll be happening again in October, 12th to the 15th of uh, October, with the Purpose Awards on the 13th. And then uh, 40 Under 40, that's the one. We've put the call out for entries to that for the rising stars of the industry. You've got until the 13th of May for the first deadline and the 20th for the final deadline on that. So if you have any rising stars you want to nominate for that, do check it out. Get it. Uh, get all the details from the breakfast briefing overseen by Mr. Washcook himself. And, uh, yeah, do check all those programs out. Some great work, great case studies, great people. But that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.